You've heard the saying, right, that Noah said, build it and they will come. Well, in business, that's not quite how it works because you have to send out invitations. You have to do lots of social media, emailing, direct mail, you name it. So in actual fact, our guest today is quite right when he says that build it and they will come is a myth. Today, we're going to make conversations about language count. What's new here on the Making Conversations Count show? Well, I would just like to give a bit of a shout out to Jay, who has left a wonderful review for us saying that listening to the show is like a half hour therapy session. So I do hope that you continue to leave your comments because they really make us gush. I'd like to introduce you to Ray Blakeney. Sit back. You've got half an hour of listening to Ray's story. Not only am I continuing to offer the Power Up Session for listeners, details of that in a short while, but there's also my book, which helps you do that for yourself, where I explain everything that we do in the Power Up. It's available to you on Amazon and you can get the links from makingconversationscount.com forward slash how to sell over the phone. But first, let's get down to business. Let's get to that conversation with Ray. Welcome to Making Conversations Count, the official podcast that brings you business leaders to the show where they share that one conversation that created a turning point in their life or career. And today I have from across the pond a swashbuckling, bootstrapping (laughs) entrepreneur that heads up Live Lingua. Ray, tell us a little bit more about LiveLingua and what you do. Sure. So LiveLingua.com is one of the top three online language schools in the world. So we give live classes with tutors, with native speakers from around the world. So you want French, native French teacher will hook you up with a native French teacher. You want Spanish, you want Chinese, you want Portuguese, you want Russian. We have 11 languages that we're teaching. There are two things that set us apart. One, number one, we're the only mom and pop operation up there. Everybody else we're competing against, you know, has millions of dollars of VC money from those big funds. And it's just me and my wife, we started this for $59.99, 12 years ago. She was a teacher. I answered the emails and we built it up from there. So we are the only one kind of, we're that little corner coffee shop going up against Starbucks and all those big brands in our space. And the second one is we, of course, we make it a lot more personal as a result. Everybody gets my personal email and my wife's personal email. She's in charge of the academics when you sign up with us. So we're not just, you're not just a number in anything. She's in charge. Of course she's in charge. I mean, you know, anybody who is in a relationship knows how that works. She's the boss in the company. She just lets me work there sometimes. We have a lot more personalized attention than almost any other business that's out there. Again, you will get my personal email. I will email you when you sign up saying, hi, my wife will do it a few weeks later to see how the classes are going. And we work with you so you can definitely learn whatever language you want. We've, it, the method we use is the method I use to learn Spanish and she used to learn English. So it's tried and true. We've kind of gone through the system. Well, it's great that you're making conversations about languages count. That's exactly. Cool. That's it. And it brings the world closer together, just like any conversation brings people together. If you're able to speak another language, you're suddenly able to connect with this whole new culture, whole new way of thinking which makes the world a much smaller place. And I mean that in a good way, not, you know, not, oh my goodness, you're cramped, but wow. You know, if you learn Spanish, I can speak to everybody from Texas down to Chile. You know, I could take a car and drive and I would be able to speak to everybody in their native language. Sure, there'd be different accents, but it's like me speaking to you, British accent, US accent. There's no problem in communication. 
just you wait in a queue and I wait in a line. That's kind of the, you know, the big differences in the languages. <laughs> yeah. And for Spanish, it's the same thing. You'll have little differences like that. But that's what an amazing feeling, right? Being able to speak to people in other cultures and you understand the world in different ways when you learn a language. seen a huge growth then with people maybe finding themselves with a bit more time on their hands at the moment, learning a different language to help them through work or personally? So we're recording this, you know, if anybody listens to this years in the future, COVID's still going on and we have the vaccine, but it's still a big thing. It started about a year ago. We had our best year by about 40% last year. We grew 40% wow. uh, in 2020 with people signing up, especially in I think it was April. I have the numbers right over here. It was yeah, April. When, when it really happened, we had a, like a spike of 200%. We had 200% more people sign up April 2020 than April 2019 because everybody decided, hey, I'm stuck at home. I might as well learn another language. It dipped off after that, but it was still 40% higher consistently every month. Yeah. And was that just truly organic or did you see an opportunity to sort of do some more Fed advertising into different platforms to be able to sort of draw people to you? How did that work? It started as organic because, you know, nobody expected this. We actually started Live Lingwood because of the swine flu, right? So that was, there's, a, there's a story behind that. But the swine flu lasted 60 days. So we didn't, you know, it wasn't this like big thing where we planned years out because this is going to go Bit on of an forever. anticlimax really, wasn't it? It was, it was. It yeah. was supposed to be this big thing. It was supposed to be what COVID is now. So everybody was really scared. And then eight weeks later, it was gone. Part of me actually expected that with COVID, right? Okay, three months, six at the long end. So I'll admit that the first two, you know, first two or three months, that spike was entirely organic. So we built our whole business off of search engine optimization. So when people look for Spanish lessons online, Spanish tutors, we should be in the top three of any of the search results. That put us in a great position that when people started organically looking for more Spanish tutors, we were already positioned to do that. After we saw this was going to be a more long term, then we did went to Facebook ads, remarketing, Google ads, all that kind of stuff as well. We did use that to boost it up. But initially, it was all organic. Ray, does it surprise you that, you know, we talk about Live Lingua as being, you know, in the top three for languages, for being brilliant and a family run gig, yet there's so many other aspects to running the business like the SEO, if the SEO hadn't have been great, they're then turning to the other channels and, and formats of being able to exploit that traffic. We have to be so adaptable now in, in our businesses, don't we, to, to online behaviors. Absolutely. I mean, even SEO, if you base your whole business on it, and I know this from personal experience, you can lose it overnight, right? Search SEO, for those who don't know, search engine optimization, it pretty much is what gets you to the top of the Google ranking, not the paid ads, unscrupulous marketing agencies saying, get you to the top of the page in Google in, in a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They put Google ads up for your own brand name and they show, look at you, you're at the top. And I'm like, yeah, that's nothing. You should be at the top for your own brand name anyway, right? But SEO is that organic rank at the bottom. It's also free traffic. If you're using the paid ad method, which works, you have to kind of consider, hey, I'm paying a dollar for the ad and I make a dollar fifty. I made fifty cents. But if you're organic and you're making a dollar fifty and they came in organically, you make a dollar fifty, you know, uh, for a digital product. So that's kind of it's the holy grail of online marketing. And if you're doing a million one one dollar fifties, then gosh, it's still that's worth it, it right? That's that's exactly it. It's because it's not costing you anything. It even works on the other end. Like, you know, if you're a Ferrari dealership and you're selling a Ferrari. Maybe not that many people are looking for it every month, but if you're number one in your city and that gets you one or two sales a year. It's paid for itself. Yeah. Yeah. $300,000. You sold two $300,000 cars, or I don't know how much Ferraris cost, but 
a lot of money, right? Although we're talking about languages, you know, making conversations count in lots of ways, really, you're having to talk the language of the machines. I've been running language businesses now for 13 years. So we started the brick and mortar language school um, and moved online. But my area of expertise, even though I'm pretty good at the language side of things now as well, because I've been doing it for 13, 14 years, is actually the business around the languages and the communication on that end, right? Because it's like a lot of other things, right? You could be the best language teacher in the world, but if you don't know how to put yourself in front of the right audience, nobody's going to know. It's like that old movie, Field of Dreams, where they say, build it and they will come. No, that's not how business works, (laughs) right? You can build it all day long. And unless you put it, you know, you have the traffic, you're not going to have a business out of it. You could be the best at whatever you do. And unless you're able to convey that message, you know, as you said, have that conversation with the people about it, which means they need to see you or at least, you know, be able to initiate the conversation, then you're never going to be successful in whatever it is you're trying to convey. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a a book that I love that explained blogging to me. I never saw the value of blogging. They ask you answer. And it is really, you've got to reverse engineer that by saying, what is the question first? What are people asking? So where does the conversation start? It starts with a questioning so that you can answer mm-hmm. it, so that you can solve that problem. You know, so conversation is really important, isn't it, on every level of what we do? Online business, language learning, whether it be language learning or not, cannot be a one side. It's not you preaching on your soapbox, right? This is, all, this is for the communicating with the customer's point of view. And then once we teach the language, it's the same thing. It needs to be a conversation. I want to learn Spanish. Why do you want to learn Spanish? What is it, you know? And then they have to answer, okay, I'd like to learn it for travel. Oh, where are you traveling to? I'm going to Chile. That means a different Spanish teacher than if you were going to Spain, right? It's a back and forth conversation for us to learn about you on the marketing end, right? So they probably, they might look for Spanish teachers from Chile instead of Spanish teachers from Spain. So we have to be in the right place, give the right answer. Once they sign up, we offer a 30 minute free trial, you know, free class for anybody who wants. Once they sign up, it's our job to find them their perfect match. We, we have a learning style quiz and all the rest of it for a teacher from Chile and you know, make sure that they find the teacher that they're comfortable with. So from start to finish, it's a conversation. And then the teacher continues the conversation is what we're teaching is primarily conversational language, right? We'll teach you something how to read and write due to the medium of online, the strongest thing you're going to learn. And the first thing you're going to learn is how to speak and be, you know, and understand when somebody speaks to you. So that's what a conversation is, right? Yeah. And the variables are immense. And whether it be language, whether it be ball bearings, whether it be, you know, IT solutions, you still have to know what the nuts and bolts are going to make up to be able to offer the right solution. Absolutely. And the only way you're going to know that is to ask. Absolutely. You have to ask them, hey, what do I need? (laughs) What what do you need? And then make sure that you have something in place to be able to provide that for them. And you don't need to be too big. I mean, you know, we're lucky that we kind of stumbled on the space and we had an early mover advantage. But for most people, if you are able to have this conversation, I think there's the, I don't remember who said it, but the thousand true fans, right? If you have a thousand customers, which in the world of cyberspace is nothing. I mean, you know, that's, that's like... It's not a teardrop, no. It's a blip. Amazon sells more products than that per millisecond. I don't, I don't know the exact math, but... Every millisecond, I'm sure they sell more than a thousand products. $1.7 trillion. Exactly. So <laughs> you really need that much? If Why do I know Let's just even get it down. You have a hundred people paying you. It's an aspirational number for some people, right? So, but if you have a hundred people paying you, you're a consultant, right? If yeah. you had a hundred clients, that's probably more clients than you could deal with. A hundred clients at the same time, if they're all paying you even something low like a thousand dollars a month, 
for your consulting fee, you have a $1.2 million business there. That's the way you have to look at it. I think a lot of the challenge, especially when people are starting off in the business world, they say, I need to build the next Facebook, right? I need to build the new next LinkedIn. And for most of us, there's two things. Now, those are unicorns. Statistically, buy a lottery ticket. I think chances of you building the next LinkedIn are about the same as you winning the lottery next month. Secondly, even if you do, that might not be the life you wanted in the first place, right? I mean, if you just want to build the biggest company in the world and that's your life dream, go for it. But I think for most of us, if I said, hey, would you rather have LinkedIn where you never have a life, maybe get divorced three or four times and you know, never talk to your kids because they're estranged from you? Or would you rather build a business where you make $100,000, $200,000 a year working maybe three or four hours a day and spend, never miss your kid's recital at school? You still can't spend it all. Exactly. I mean, that's more than most people ever need in your life unless you're going out buying like you know, gold-plated Benzes or something. I mean, something utterly, that's the point, right? You need to ask yourself, you have to have a conversation with yourself first. And be honest with yourself about what it is you want out of life. Forget about the idea. Forget about all that, because that'll help you set your goals and know what you're working towards. Well, that's a very good point, actually, Ray, because in a book that I wrote, which is also called Making Conversations Count, the very first thing I ask people is, what are your numbers? It's not the words, it's the numbers that drive it. Because if you need to sell 10 things, how many people do you need to speak to to sell those 10 things? If it's 100, then it's 100. Yeah. So it's one in 10. So every conversation, you need to have 10 conversations to sell that one thing. If it is that you need to sell two things in a year, how many people is that? You know, so it's about being realistic. And it's also about being realistic because you can grow too quickly and then you end up with dissatisfaction. You end up with complaints. So then it's harmful for reputation and brand. So it is about just trying to underpin everything that you do so that it's sustainable. And, you know, nobody wants overwhelm these days. I've had enough of overwhelm. I think I'm seeing a flip just like you, Wendy, in kind of the mindset, the psyche of a lot of the entrepreneurs I talk to. When I started, I'm going to date myself. So I was in, in the early 2000s. I was in Silicon Valley. You know, as a programmer, I was not one of the founders, but as a programmer in, you know, internet startups over there, we would work 60, 80 hours a week. It was all about the hustle, the burnout, the kind of just work because you're going to strike it rich in this one company and never have to worry about it again. You couldn't be successful until you burnt out. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a lot of the mentality we were seeing. And, you know, it persisted for 10, 15 years and it probably still persists in some circles today. But now that I've been doing this for 20 years, I found out that that's not the way to do it. I mean, you know, it's not about working so hard right now that you don't enjoy life just because you maybe can enjoy it later on in life. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you might get sick in five years and never be able to enjoy it. and You've just wasted the last 20 years working. Most of us would be happy with $100,000 a year, 150000 200000 I mean, that's way more. That puts you in the top 1% in almost every country in the world. We have to still be living in the moment, don't we? Because the, that's the world doesn't exist. That's exactly it. And these numbers, now when you make it realistic, let's say $120,000 a year business, I'm not going to say that's easy, but the sacrifices you need to make to build that are quite different from a sacrifice you need to make to build the $12 million, $120 million business, right? Knowing that, it changes a lot of things, right? You can build a $120,000 a year successful business while still spending time with your family and your friends and having time with your hobbies and taking a vacation every few months, right? You can still do that. And if you know that and you, get, you kind of get okay with that, you're like, okay, yeah, I can do it. And I don't have to feel guilty when I took this week off to go and relax. 
you know, because it's, you know, this is not all my life. It changes things. I know I didn't have it. I had the hustle perspective for the first five or six years and I burned out, right? I did the burnout thing. It took that to learn it. That's why I find it so important to 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 do this show because you know I'm aiming it at entrepreneurs. I want it to be those people that are coming up that have got that that burning desire to do things, and you know not wanting to be ageist at all. But I do appreciate that a lot of entrepreneurs are going to be much younger than me, and it's that experience that you get from hindsight, isn't it, that allows us the comfort to say, do you know, if I'd have known that, then I wouldn't have done it the same way. I'd have done it differently you know we start to talk like our parents around the dinner table <laughs> back in my day yeah um, you know. <laughs> oh, not this story again <laughs> exactly exactly somebody called me middle-aged like last year for the first time like who calls me that what middle-aged no you're not, and then you're i'm like 50. i did my math i'm like i'm 41 i am middle-aged yeah <laughs> like how did that happen when did that happen but it's also kind of a nice area to be in because it's we're kind of past the point we have the experience now but we kind of still have enough energy to still do things. There are actually a lot of those studies out there that show like those big successful companies, how old were the founders when they started it? And a lot of them you'll find are there in their like 40s or early 50s, because that's the point when they had the experience, they were able to do it. And, you know, they were able to build, but still had the energy to be able to do it. You, they don't do it at 80 because you don't have the energy. But at this age, we still have the energy to be able to build great things. I didn't know that about the stats. So I would be interested in, in seeing that. Some of the ones off the top of my head, like Kentucky Fried Chicken, Ford, a lot of these things, they were started by, they were in their 40s when they started. Oh, well, hang on. That was started by a colonel and he got white hair and a beard. So, you know. No, that, that's exactly it. Well, that was when he ended, right? <laughs> that's when he ended it. But... That's what running a multi-million dollar company did to him. By the time you have a multi-million, you could put your face on there when you're old and they don't, people don't even care anymore, right? He was I mean, only you know. 42. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That don't die it when he put it up there. But... That shows you the, that it, how much experience counts at that point. I wish I had the energy of when I started my first business at 28 and the knowledge I have now, because then I could probably do some pretty amazing things. But the thing is, you can't mix those two things together. The experience I got by doing it, uh, there was no shortcut to get here, right? No. And I think the journey is the journey and the lessons that you learn help you along the way. I would just counter to say to anybody who thinks that they're now too young to, do, to be successful, oh, no, no, they're no. in actual fact, the passion of knowing it's the right thing to do is the energy that we're talking about. I wish I'd started earlier, honestly. When I was a kid, I remember at school, everybody would say, Ray, one day you're going to own your own business. I never saw it. I wanted to study computers. I like computer games, so I wanted to make computer games. I found out when I studied computer programming that making computer games and playing them are two totally different things, and one is a lot more fun than the other. So I never got into making computer games. But at that age, that's what I thought I wanted to do. But it looked like everybody else saw this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I love it now. I mean, this is, I, I hope I never have to do anything else for the rest of my life and go back to a regular job. But if other people are telling you that, but you're not thinking about entrepreneurship, if you're 15, this was when I was 12 and 13, right? If they're telling you these things, then you might want to kind of examine it. If you have a child who people are like, wow, he's so entrepreneurial, but your child hasn't really, probably doesn't know what entrepreneurship is, right? I mean, it's not something that registered. I know I didn't. No, no. You might want to kind of, I'm not going to say push, but encourage that. Kind of put them in little groups and see if that really is something they want to do in life. Entrepreneurship doesn't necessarily mean you know, risk and success and all the rest of it has become a trendy word. But just learning the skills of entrepreneurship, even if your child goes on to get a more regular job, can help them in their life. Resilience, working through problem solving. There are all these great skills that you can learn. 
Do you know, I think the biggest leap that entrepreneurs have to manage, this is just my opinion, is money. It's the conversation that people don't want to have. They don't want to share. And, you know, they won't tell you. We're brought up that way. You're not, you don't talk about money. You, you're not supposed to. It's ta- if, you're, if you don't have enough, it's embarrassing. If you have too much, it's taboo to talk about it, right? So you're stuck in this space where you never, there's never a time when you can talk about money. Because if you're doing being successful, society says, no, he's showing off if he says he's, got, you know, he's successful. And if you're not successful, you're embarrassed. You're not going to say, hey, I'm not making enough money. Because a lot of people think business owners are rich. I re- encourage that they read The Millionaire Next Door, one of my favorite books. You know, it's a little dated, but they, you can see, look up the statistics on the average small business owner and how much money they make. I'm sure in the UK and the US, it's public data. It's like 60, 60 to $80,000 a year. If you have a college degree and you know, if I'm a computer engineer, I'd make much, I would make more money than that if I was working for another company. It's not that if you're a business owner, you're rich, which is kind of the whole mentality a lot of people have, but nobody talks about it. It doesn't equate to money, does it? Exactly. You, you can own a successful restaurant, but you're paying just as much. You, all your money is going to the rent and your staff. And at the end of the month, you might be just you might be living in the back room for all we know. But to the front facing world is like, look at this guy. He's around. Exception. Yes, that's it. He's exceptional. But maybe he does not. He's a great cook. Maybe he's a great you know, host. He might not be very good at the business side of things. Right. So that means he's spending everything he has on this business or he's living off of loans whatever there is. So this conversation about money, like you say, is really important. Kind of getting not only the successes out there, but also the challenges around money out into the open, and hopefully more people can solve the problem. I wanted to let you know I'm offering a £50 discount on my very popular and successful one-to-one power-ups. Go to makingconversationscount.com forward slash power up offer to claim it. I ask everybody that comes on the show to share their pivotal moment. Of course. What was yours? So my pivotal moment ended with a conversation, but started with a quote. Right. So the, the quote was, I remember I was 26 years old, again, computer programmer, good job, following the quote unquote American dream. You owned, uh, I owned a condo and a nice car and I was going to get a bigger condo and a nicer car. Right. Because that's what you do. <laughs> you know, that's what makes you happy. Right. Something was missing. And I remember sitting at home watching TV. I have no idea what the show was. And a commercial came on for the U.S. Navy. My uncle's in the Navy, my respects to the people in the armed, armed forces, but I know if somebody shoots at me, I'm running the other way as fast as physically possible, right? <laughs> yeah. But the quote was, if they were to write a book about your life, would anybody want to read it? And I remember seeing that on the screen and I was thinking to myself, the path I'm on now, absolutely not. I mean, sure, I, you know, I'll have a good job, I'll get a big car, I'll have a house, but that's it. I mean, every single day, every chapter in my book would be the same. Right. I mean, every chapter would be he went to work for nine, came back at five, paid his bills. That's what started it. So the next day it was around Halloween. So I know I know about the dates. I was out with a group of friends for Halloween, a little drunk, which I think most best of the best decisions in your 20s probably happen with a little bit of alcohol involved. Um, I don't <laughs> or know. Maybe I the don't worst remember, ones. Ray. I don't exactly. Remember. Exactly. <laughs> so I remember standing there and I was chatting with friends. I was standing on the stage. I wasn't performing. It was just the bar was full. And you know, I was standing on the stage looking out at the crowd. I remember looking out over there and talking to my friends. And some of them were saying things like, 
yeah, I've been to this party for five years. I've been to this party for 10 years. Some of them were older. So I was 25. They seemed really old at 35, right? So they were 35. Like, yeah, I've been coming here for 10 years. So that was the conversation I was having externally. And the internal conversation I had at that time was, I don't want to be here in 10 years. I do not want to be at the same bar in 10 years doing the same thing. Those people that had been there 10 years probably had their spot. That's it. You know, that they would go to the same spot in the bar. So, you know, you, you could almost see the timeline. That's it. I bet if somebody took a, like a photo of that bar for like 10 years, it would be kind of like these flash photos and you just see the people aging, right? But they'd be yeah. in the same spots on the bar all the time, right? As they wow. get done going, you know, starting black and white. That was the conversation for me. It was started with that thought in the commercial. My internal conversation was, I don't want this external conversation to become a reality. In 10 years, I do not want to be here at the same bar doing exactly the same thing. There's no problem with that. I don't want to make myself sound apart because these people might have been happy. It, remember, we started this whole thing with a conversation, what makes you happy? If stability, going out with your friends and doing kind of something predictable every single year is what makes you happy, I'm in a way a little jealous because that would be a lot easier lifestyle than the one I've chosen. But if you're looking for a, a life that's you know, worth writing a book about, not that even if you don't want to write a book, I, don't, I have no intention of writing an autobiography about myself, right? But if you wanted to, I want it to be interesting enough that other people would read it. I think you've tapped into something that we were only talking about through the lockdown circumstances ourselves as a family. And that was, we'll say every Christmas, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And we never know because we don't need anything. That's what society is. We have no real wants or needs for anything particularly. And we were talking about how we want to live our life as much as anything. So how do you want to live your life? So at New Year, we don't do resolutions. We do, what would we like to do as a family this year? Do we want to go and see a show? Do we want to go and visit a place? So as far as I'm concerned, it's about making memories. That's what life is about, right? So that's kind of like writing your own book, but it's leading to that legacy, you know, translating that to a business sort of mindset is that if you are making memories or if you're leaving your stamp and your influence is in a positive light, then you're leaving a legacy that people will talk about you way past. Absolutely correct. And that's, I think, the heart and core of the book metaphor, right? You don't have to write a book. I mean, again, for me, it's, I have no intention of having an autobiography or a biography written about myself. That's not the point. The point is that you did, you know, you took advantage of what your life has offered you in such a way that, you know, you did something with it. Um, you know, you didn't let it go to waste. Whatever that thing is, there is, you know, business is one outlet for that. Volunteering, I think, is a great outlet to afford it. I mean, in my third or fourth career, we want to start in, you know, a charity is kind of one of the things we want to do. If you love your job, you're a teacher. You work. love your job, right? Yeah, it's, it's not, not work. work. Yeah, just go to that. But then if you want to, you know, if you want this legacy, volunteer at the, you know, with local YMCA in the United States, right? Mentor a kid, mentor two kids. That's it. I mean, we're not talking about having to do 10,000 people here. That's enough for your book to be full by the end of your life. You don't need to do anything exceptional. You don't need to be on the news. You don't need to be published. You just need to kind of make the world a better place for you and, you know, influence, the, influence everybody else. Right. Your book will say, Schwashbuckling Ray. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Little sword fighter on the cover. Probably would not tell very much about what I really do for a living. I sit in a cube while I sit in my chair every day and I write code and run businesses. But in my spare time, I do practice Kendo 
and do sword fighting. So it, it, it is not fake. I've been doing it for 20 years. <laughs> Ray, what an impressionable conversation there with us. Lots and lots that I know I'm going to be thinking about this conversation for in days to come. It's affected me. I know it will resonate with our listeners as well. If anybody wants to carry on the conversation with Swashbuckling Ray, where do they find you, Ray? Yeah, finding me should be pretty easy. So you can either contact me directly at livelingua.com. Remember, we're a small business. You go to the About Us page. My email is right there. We don't hide behind, you know, a contact form or anything like that. So go to livelingua, L-I-B-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com. You can also find me in my new project, which is called Podcast Hawk, Hawk the Animal. So podcasthwk.com. We just launched that about a week before this recording. So if you go to the contact us page, I am actually customer support. Since my specialty is bootstrapping, I don't hire a whole big team. You can contact me there. Otherwise, go to the About Us page. I'll probably make my email public as well. Social media, I date myself. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Look for Ray Blakeney. There is the photo in the background is actually a photo of me in my kendo sword fighting. So if you find, you know, find a Ray Blakeney that's not sword fighting, you found the wrong guy. Look for the guy who's sword fighting. <laughs> Go to the guy next door. Ray. Exactly. <laughs> it's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you today. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a fantastic show yet again. I am so pleased that next week we're going to be talking about cuddles with Mandy Ward. And that's true for a lot of us, isn't it? I want freedom, but actually I need to pay the bills. That's a very common one, I would imagine, for a lot of people to stop them from making that jump.